Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 6, excuse me, Mark chapter 5. Mark 5, we're going through a series entitled Some Good News as we're going through the gospel according to Mark. Last week, I took a little break. Uh, I touched on this hot topic of our day, toxic masculinity. Uh, that's going to be going up online today. Some of you missed it for one reason or another, and it's going to be available as of today. Um, and I just want to say that I'm not sure I need to preach because the last song that we did, and the first song, and come to think of it, a couple of others, actually has already preached this sermon. So I'm just, with the words I'm going to share with you from the scriptures, I think they're just going to be a confirmation of what I personally believe the Spirit of God is already speaking to our hearts. Amen. Some time ago, my family and I took a vacation trip. Now, I believe it was to Cashers, North Carolina. Absolutely beautiful, gorgeous place. It was a timeshare that someone wasn't able to use in our church many years ago, and so they actually gave it to us. What a blessing. And I I don't want to talk about how beautiful it was because that would take the rest of the sermon, but I want to tell you a little story that happened there. And while we were there in that little timeshare, it had a, a community pool. And next to the community pool, very awesome, by the way, it had a miniature golf course. How many of you like miniature golf? You like miniature golf? Oh, come on. What's, what's the problem, church? Miniature golf, right? Congo, jungle, whatever. What's, what's the name of that one? That's Anyway, I love, yeah, I love miniature golf. It's a challenge, right? Well, my kids didn't view it that way. It started off and all of my kids are, I don't think Jimmy was born, and Jewel and Shine was, we had the carrier, so that, that, that's, it was in the 90s. And I remember as my kids, they, I don't think they had ever played before, so Daddy, Mommy, we're trying to teach them, and one of the main virtues that we're going to learn from this ordeal is patience, right? So we start off in like the first two or three holes, you know, like straight shots, maybe a little embankment here and there, simple, but then we come to the windmill. And the windmill is spinning, and so one of them gets up, and they put the ball, and the windmill hits it, and after a while, this this particular child, and I'm not going to mention any of these names, but they get so depressed, they don't want to play anymore. Next one up, hits the ball, and that windmill probably took that ball and sent it into the next county. And after a while, this particular child got so angry, I had to reach into my pocket. I probably paid for a number of balls and golf clubs when we were, by the time we were done. The next one just got so disappointed that she just wanted to quit. And she just wanted to sit down and not want to play. And I had to teach my children this virtue of patience. Because here's a reality check. Something we can learn even as children, there are windmills in our lives, and they're going to take your little golf balls and send them into the next county. And sometimes obstacles in our lives can make us change course, and we can get so frustrated, or they can cause us to stop dead in our tracks. At best, slow us down. And this is frustrating. I remember when I was a little kid. Wow, I was such an ornery little kid, such an ornery little kid. Um, There were a group of bullies, that's how I personally labeled them, that lived on the next street over. Those of us on on my street, we were tight, we were good, we were friends, we defended one another, especially my brothers, and I had had, four brothers. 
Uh, in my, I had to stop and count that for a moment. I have four brothers that had my back. And three of us, four of us kids were really close to my oldest is 10, is 10 years older than me. And for some reason, I always found myself running from this group of bullies. It was probably just the way I talked with them. That'd be my guess. Yeah. I always found myself in trouble. And, and as they were surrounding me, ending up saying like the wrong thing in the wrong time in wrong place. But I always made sure that if I did that, that my yard was not too far away. And I was a fast little kid. And I would judge, and I would, I would get ready, and then I would just give them a zinger, and I would turn around and take off, and they would be hot on my heels because they wanted to tear me to pieces and beat me up before I jumped the fence. Now, this fence was a chain-link chain link fence. It was about four feet tall. So when I was a little kid, I had to reach up to grab, just about reach up to grab it. And when I was the first, you know, first few times going over this fence, learning how to do it, you, I'd have to put my hand on top of the front. You know how the, a chain link fence is. It's got this wide bar at the top with posts, okay? And then it's got the chain links, right? In, in the little triangles, diamonds. And then it has little pointy things at the very top. Make sure you don't land on those, right? And so I learned if I just grabbed the top very carefully, put my foot in one of those diamonds, and I could just go over. But that, that took such a long time. So, and there were times in which I would get caught, and they would grab me by my shirt, pull me back down, and I got a whooping. So, see, they were the bullies, right? And, but I, I learned to perfect this. So instead of climbing over so slowly, I learned that I got a little bit taller. I would put my right hand on, one, on the top of the fence, reach over, grab the chain link fence, and flip my feet over so I would do it in one move. And I got pretty good at this. And I realized the more I did this, the less they caught me. Yeah, this happened a lot, by the way. You're, getting, you're catching on. And, but then I got a little bit older, like 10 years old. And I realized that I could hop over the fence by this time. And it was just like, it was so smooth. And so I could calculate it. I would lay into them with my words as they were gathered around me and take off as fast as they could. And I could, now once I jumped over the fence, I'm in safe territory. Because if they climb over the fence, my brothers, it, it just took one call and they were there in a New York second. You know how fast a New York second is? Yeah. And so right there, and I was protected. I'm sharing this because many of us have obstacles in our lives. The windmill, that had a tendency to change course. All my kids hated that. The chain link fence, that slowed me down. And so obstacles in our pathway can do either of those two things. They can either change our course, which is not good, or it can slow us down. Either way, we want to obtain our goal, safety in the backyard, or putting that golf ball in the hole, and these obstacles constantly get in the way. Here's what I want you to do. You have sermon notes. I want you on the back of those sermon notes, where it says sermon notes, I want you to write down, just take a moment, I want you to write down a goal that, I, that you believe that God has laid on your heart. One goal. One thing that you've been praying for, or it, it may have been just this past week that you've been praying. Maybe it's been a year or a couple of years a goal that you would like to see God fulfill. Underneath that, I want you to write down at least one obstacle that you have faced since you've been praying about this or striving for this. One obstacle. Today, as we read through 
Mark chapter 5 and a little bit of chapter 6. We're going to read three stories, so buckle your seatbelts. The first two are together. The third one, which is the one I'm actually going to start with, not reading, but when I preach, I'm going to start with that one and you'll see why. But these three, we're going to see obstacles that people encountered and how they responded. These were obstacles to faith, and for some of them, it caused them to change course. For others, it may have slowed them down a bit, but they kept going, and they were able to obtain what they had been pressing in for. And it's, those, it's that last one that I want us as a church to discover today. And not allow these obstacles in our lives to move us away, to hinder us in any way, to to keep us from obtaining whatever God is calling us to. But I'm going to tell you this, it will take faith to obtain that goal. God's grace is readily available. Are we accessing that by faith? So are you there with me? Mark chapter (coughs) 5. Excuse me. Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, remember he had just cast out the demon from the garrison demoniac, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So they have docked the boat on the other side the next day, and a large crowd is gathered. Verse 22. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus, or Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. I want you to feel this man's pain as his daughter lays on her deathbed. And is, he's, he's accessing his last recourse, Jesus. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had yet decided of get, excuse me, and yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, took him, told him, excuse me, the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said. 
Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. As they were completely astonished, he gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even get, does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So I'm going to start with this third story. And I want us to discover what this offense is, what this obstacle or stumbling block was. And when we do that, to, to recognize it, I want to talk about it a bit because we each have these, but I want us to then go back and look at the first two and see what did they do? What stumbling blocks or, or obstacles did they encounter and how did they manage to overcome them? Because they did obtain what they sought by faith. The first thing I want us to see is that Jesus comes to Nazareth and he preaches there in the synagogue. When he does this, and he is done, the people are absolutely amazed. Absolutely amazed. He is teaching as one who has authority. Now, I already touched on that a few weeks ago. We found that concept back in chapter one. Jesus, as he's teaching with such authority by the power and anointing of the Spirit, which, by the way, it, we don't see it here. We see it in Luke 4. That's exactly what he was preaching on, quoting from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. This is that incident. And they're, they're listening to him, and they're amazed. But beyond their amazement, there is a problem. They begin to think amongst themselves, and wait, wait, wait a second. This guy, he's preaching on anointing, and he's claiming that he's anointed by the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, and we're kind of seeing that. I mean, the guy's even doing miracles, though few, in their town anyway. They hear a lot about what's been going on in Capernaum several miles away, and now they begin to wonder, this is, this is Jesus. I know him. He grew up in our town. Hello? I know his mom, I, I, they, they knew his dad, they, who was also a carpenter. But G, this Jesus, he's a carpenter. He's, 
He's a commoner. He's a layman. He, he works with his hands, okay? Not with his mind, right? He's a carpenter. Look, we know his family. We know his brothers, his sisters. He, he came from a big family. If you count them there, there were at least seven children in Je the family Jesus grew up in. The concept, though, is that they're wrestling with is, wait a second. Jesus, he's a, he, he's a common type of guy. He's just like you and me. How is it that he is anointed? How is it that the Spirit of God is speaking through him and apparently doing some miracles? They had troubles with, and it, it says that they took offense at him. Do you see that phrase? And they took offense at him. Now, this word that's translated took offense is an interesting word. We actually get an English word from it. The Greek word is skandalizo, skandalizomai. And we get our word scandal from it. But this word skandalizomai, it, it actually means to stumble. Figuratively, then, it can mean to take offense with or take offense at. We can see it in, and I'm just going to show you two passages of scripture because I want us to grapple with this idea. This idea that Jesus is a commoner just like you and me. He's not born in a palace. He is not born wealthy. He is not born of a prophet or prophetess that we know of. He is not born uh, the son of a rabbi. He's not even a, he didn't even, the, to, our, to their knowledge, he was a carpenter and not been trained in the ways of a rabbi. And so how is it that he is so anointed? How is it that he's so special? This is their struggle. Because someone anointed by the Spirit surely is not a commoner. I'm going to come back to that. First, I want us to see this. This Greek word, skandalizomai, this is a word that we find, for example, in Matthew 11.6. Now, you can turn there if you want. You don't have to. I'm going to quickly read it, explain it. We're going to look at one more. John the Baptist, he's in prison. <coughs> <clears throat> being in <clears throat> excuse me being in prison <laughs> he is hearing about these things that Jesus is doing the miracles that he's doing <clears throat> he's hearing about the amazing preaching that he does so with such authority and and people are flocking to him i'm sure you heard the story about the one who was who was came down through the roof and Jesus healed him he, the guy took up his mat you remember and he walked out the door and he said your sins are forgiven what so these types of things are amazing, John, but there's a problem. Jesus, if he is the Messiah, that John had, his mission was to prepare the way for the Messiah. He knew this. He even identified Jesus and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But John is having a little problem cognizantly understanding this because his expectations of the Messiah would be one of a military nature. And Jesus was not going that route at all. As a matter of fact, more and more of the religious leaders of his day were getting offended by Jesus. They didn't like the fact that he was healing on the Sabbath. They didn't like the fact that Jesus now and then apparently was calling them hypocrites or tell parables that these guys are blind, that these guys, when they hear Jesus teaching in the form of parables, walked away and their hearts were hardened. And, and, and Jesus was causing a, a rift. He was causing people to be offended. And John wrestled with this. And so Jesus, when, when they come, when Jesus' disciples come to him, remember John is in prison. He's going to soon be beheaded, we discover. And his disciples come to Jesus 
and they say, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? This is what they were saying by John the Baptist. And Jesus talks about the healings that he's done, and he closes with verse 6. Blessed is the man who does not scandalizomai, fall away on my account. John, careful. There's a stumbling block before you. There's, a, there's an obstacle. Don't let it slow you down. Don't let it knock you out of the way. Don't let it cause you to fall away. Focus. Press in. That's what faith is about. Can you trust me? Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Jesus encounters this, or we encounter this in the Gospels, in John chapter 6, verse 61. Jesus is talking about him being the bread of heaven, that's come, the bread that's come down from heaven. You've heard about Moses and the manna? Well, I am the true bread that's come down from heaven. I'm the one that if people come to me, I give life to them. <clears throat> and then he says, if anyone eats my flesh and drinks my blood, oh, what? We'll live forever. Oh, slow down, Jesus. And it says this in verse 60. It says, on hearing it, many of his disciples, now not his 12, though his 12 was amongst these. This is a larger set of disciples, understand. And hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this scandalizomai you? Does this cause you to stumble and turn away? And Jesus, excuse me, these disciples, though they were following him, Jesus gave a hard teaching. Wow, Jesus. You're saying some pretty hard things here. Not only did they not quite understand them, but Jesus, in essence, was saying, hey, guys, your life, yeah, it's all about me. What? It's all about you? If I come to you, I ha- you give eternal life? Wait a second, only God can do this. And Jesus is saying he can do this. And, the, and, and it was like grinding the gears. How many of you learned how to drive a stick shift, right? Grinding the gears. That's what's happening here, mentally grinding the gears. And Jesus is saying, wait, don't be offended by what I say. He even turns later. To, it, well, excuse me, it, it's skipping down. It says in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And so he asked the 12, do you want to leave too? So as we look at this concept of stumbling in Mark chapter six, I'm taking a little bit of time here. Oh, here we go again. Turn back to Mark chapter six. This this was offensive to them. Not like you've sinned against me, you've hurt me type of offense, but Jesus had created a stumbling block for them, and they were trying to sort through this. And so I'm going to ask you if there is a stumbling block in your way that's either slowing you down or knocking you off course. What windmill, if you will, stands in your way? For them, Jesus is just a commoner. They would believe the anointing of God, those anointed of God, aren't ordinary. See, that's a lie. The obstacle to your faith is going to be rooted, embedded in, and empowered by a lie. Always a lie. 
Whatever's hindering you, causing you to fall, go off course, it is a lie. For John the Baptist, it was certain expectations that he had that were honestly misunderstandings of the Bible. They were lies. The disciples that left Jesus because of this hard teaching, for Jesus to be the very core and center of everything, and he's the one who gives life, I don't know if I can believe that. And so they believed a lie that Jesus wasn't. So I'm saying this, whatever obstacle that you're encountering, look down, what obstacle do you write down? It's embedded or empowered by a lie. Do you believe this lie? Do you stumble at it? I'm going to get personal here. Are you just a concrete worker? Are you just a landscaper? Are you just a stay-at-home mom? Are you just some paint touch-up guy? Are you just a home improvement guy? Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you trip over this? Do you wonder, God, can you even use me? I am such an ordinary person. Jesus was a carpenter, an ordinary guy. And I want to ask you this. Was he anointed? Did God use him? Then stop believing the lie that because you're ordinary, that maybe God just can't anoint you and use you. That is a lie. Does it trip you up? Does it keep you from believing that God can powerfully use you and anoint you? Moses, David, and Amos were shepherds that were then called to prophesy and lead the people of Israel. Peter, Andrew, James, John, come on. They were fishermen. They weren't rabbis. They hadn't studied the Bible since they were 12. See, that is a lie and becomes an obstacle to faith. Jesus, because of this obstacle that they stumbled over in Nazareth, could not heal very many. Understand what that really means is very few people came to Jesus. I assure you, whoever came to Jesus to be healed was healed. It's not that Jesus couldn't heal people because there was, there was just such a lack of atmosphere of faith kind of a charismatic teaching that's gone around the last several decades. That is not what's going on here. People, because of this obstacle, did not come to Jesus. I assure you, whoever came to Jesus, he healed. But very few did, and very few were healed. What obstacle is keeping you from coming to Jesus? Now, let's take a look at these, these first two, this story here. Let's look at this. Because the first one we encounter is a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. Let me put it in plain terms. She menstruated for 12 years. Some of the women are cringing already. Oh, that was a big issue for her. In Leviticus, listen to this, in Leviticus 15, 19 and, tw- 19 and 25, if you had a period, you were considered unclean until, until it was done. But if, you ha- if that continued on, like for this woman for 12 years, not only were you unclean, but anything you touched or anyone you touched would also be considered unclean. Can I ask you this? How did this woman get to Jesus? By touching a lot of people. Okay? Follow me here. What is her obstacle? What is standing the way? Why isn't she being healed? Because she has to realize, I have to go through this crowd to to, to touch Jesus or, or for him to turn around and touch me and for me to be healed. 
The risk in this is that by doing so, she could potentially make all of the people that she touches unclean. Now, for you, that's, there's a total disconnect there. I understand that. But in that culture, if you were in her situation, it was shameful. You stayed at home for 12 years? See, she was desperate. And because of this, she ventured out. She heard about Jesus. Maybe they walked by and she heard the commotion. She saw Jesus pass by her window and she goes out into the street and she decides, I am going to get healed today. And she begins to press through the crowd. What if, though? Can you imagine? What if he doesn't heal me? And I am standing there and I touch his garment. And as the crowd passes by, they look at me and they say, you're the woman with, you're unclean and begin to declare, you are unclean, unclean. What shame, what humiliation, what if? Maybe she's not worthy. What kind of righteous acts had she done? How had she served the poor? How, how, how much had she been able to help people? Probably not too much because she's unclean. Now, not to this extreme, but maybe think leper, okay? They were unclean. Maybe she's just not worthy. Maybe her problem is because of sin. Maybe that's what the problem is. And if I turn to Jesus to be healed, he's going to turn around and say, I'm sorry, but you're not worthy. I'm sorry, but how have you followed and served me or served God? You're unworthy. What if Jesus doesn't heal her? And she finds herself humiliated and in her shame, walking back to her house, probably locking the door. As people think, great, now we're unclean. Do you see her obstacle to faith? But she makes a choice. And she says, regardless of my fears, of shame, of humiliation, I am going to do this because Jesus is my only hope. Church, do you believe that? Do you truly believe that Jesus is enough? That he is your all in all? That he truly is the healer of your soul, though he may use counselors and pastors like me as we kind of fumble along and doing our best that the Spirit of God might actually speak some godly counsel and wisdom into your life. But it is Jesus, it is the Spirit of God. He is my all in all. He is my source for everything. Do you believe that? Because if you do, God wants you to take his big fat marker and cross that obstacle that you wrote down on your paper. Cross it out. Just cross, do it right now. Just cross it out. I will not be hindered, and I will not allow this obstacle to keep me from obtaining what Christ has for me. Though there seems to be no way, he will make a way. Isn't that what we sung in that last song? He will make a way. Can you believe that, church? Because some of you have been praying for years and years and still have not obtained. But you see the heart of Jesus. He turns to this girl, this woman, the first word out of his mouth. And he has never spoken this word to anyone. And he says, daughter. Do you feel that connection? Daughter. And that woman realizes 
I am not unworthy. He has called me like I'm his daughter. And then he says, daughter, your faith has saved you. It's it's rescued you. It's healed you, as the NIV translates that word. It's the common word for saved, sozo. It's rescued you. And then he says this, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Does that not resonate within your spirit this morning? For some of you looking for reprieve and release from suffering, maybe it's mental or emotional or, or spiritual or, or physical. In some way, there is suffering and, there's, and, and, and it's just, it's, you feel bottled up. You, you're just wondering, God, where are you now? And I want to tell you right now, he was saying to you, daughter, just like he spoke to that man lowered into the, into the midst of the house that was crowded, the first word out of his mouth was son. Those are the only two times, son and daughter, that Jesus ever spoke to someone like that. Pushing past and pushing away the shame, the potential shame that was there. See, Jesus bought you to be his own. He called you into his family. That you would be his son, that you would be his daughter and have access to this inheritance. And this is simply a manifestation of that, his healing, the desire to free you from suffering. On all of this, it's yours. But sometimes, church, there are obstacles that keep us from believing as Jesus, Jesus said, just a mustard seed. That's all I'm asking, just a mustard seed. But see, sometimes we have to plant a lot of those mustard seeds. Sometimes that faith isn't just right now in the moment, but it is now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that and the next month and the next year. We see men and women of God who prayed for years. Hannah, the mom of Samuel, years praying for a child, praying for some breakthrough, praying, God, remove this obstacle. She had a physical obstacle. What is your obstacle? Jesus wants to step in and move that out of the way and invite you into this realm of faith to free you from your suffering. As we move on, we encounter Jairus. Understand this man's predicament. It wasn't probably too long after, we don't know the time frame, but probably not too long after that, there was an edict given by the scribes and and Pharisees and the spiritual leaders of the day that if you go to Jesus... If you listen to him, if you believe in him, and if you follow him, and if you're his disciple, you get kicked out of the synagogue. This, the, the, the opposition to Jesus has already started. You can read about it in the previous chapters. And a synagogue ruler comes to Jesus. He is waiting for him. Maybe they saw his, his boat, the disciples' boat, crossing the Sea of Galilee. And maybe his wife says, Jairus, Jairus, Jesus is, he's here, he's going to be here in any minute now. Go to him, go to him. But sweetie, come on, you know how dangerous this is? You know what could await me? You know how the people could look at me? I'm their leader now. And, And to see that I'm turning to this guy, Jesus, I don't know. But hun, you have tried everything. And our daughter is about to die. What are you going to do? What a challenge to that man. And he valued the life of his daughter over the loss of a reputation. 
And he's waiting there on shore for Jesus to arrive. And as soon as he does, what does he do? He falls on his knees at the feet of Jesus. And he says, Jesus. It says he begs Jesus. As a dad, dads, can you feel that? Begging Jesus. And he says this. My little, my little girl is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And Jesus, it says, went with him. Apparently no questions. I'm going to go with you. We're, we're, take me to him. And on the way there, they get interrupted. There's a crowd that's forming. It takes like forever to get to Jairus' house. And on the way, understand she's on her deathbed. On the way, the whole crowd stops, and Jesus pays attention to someone completely different than his daughter. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Come on. Let, we got You Maybe you don't understand. And I'm reading between lines. Maybe, Jesus, you don't understand the urgency of this. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Come on, we, we got to come on. We got to keep going here. Let's keep going. Oh, don't talk to her now. Oh, wow, Jesus, please come on. Really, You're starting to ask her questions. What? Let's go. Come on, let's go. And 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 as he says the last word, be freed from your suffering. Oh yeah, here we go. Oh guys, what? I'll be there in just a moment. As his servants come to him, and they stop and they say, look. Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the master anymore. Can you imagine how he feels at that moment? Can you imagine the grief that he's feeling at that moment? What? I'm too late? Maybe the anger. That stupid woman, right? It's all her fault if she just had not wanted her way. Maybe there was some of that. I don't know. How about disappointment? Oh, I should have listened to my wife sooner. Right, ladies, right? should have listened to her sooner. Maybe, you know, maybe it's just because I'm not worthy. Maybe it's all my fault. Maybe I've been a poor synagogue ruler. Maybe I've allowed those desire for wealth, listening too much to the Pharisees, deceptions, the lies, the whatever. Maybe I just haven't followed the law enough. And so God is punishing me. Whatever emotion, certainly there is grief. Whatever emotion he's experiencing, Jesus speaks to it, and he speaks very specifically about fear. This Jesus immediately perceives fear, lostness. What do I do now? The man's world just crumbled. And Jesus says this, just believe. Now, if you were Jairus, dads, and your daughter just died, and Jesus says, oh, just believe. You would immediately think, just believe. I, I, I don't understand. She's dead, Jesus. You can't heal her now. We're too late. 
Don't be afraid. Just believe. Can you trust me? Today, Jesus is asking the church, can you trust him? Can you allow him to move that obstacle away? Can you allow faith to rise up and say to that mountain, that obstacle that's in the way, because that's how Jesus uses that concept of an obstacle, be removed and it will be removed and move forward in faith. Can you do this? Can you access God's grace? Can you just step in? It's a mustard seed of faith. That is all he's asking. And, and Jairus, he just, he, he just moves on probably 10 different emotions that he's experiencing right now. The, the major one, yes, fear. Number two is probably complete confusion. Why are we even doing this? What is Jesus going to do now? He had never seen someone raised from the dead. This more than likely is the first one. Jesus chooses to take only the 12, excuse me, only the, the, the three closest, Peter, James, and John. When they come to the mourners, he says something really, really silly to them. What's with all the commotion? Why are you weeping? And he doesn't wait for their response, okay? He just simply says, she's not dead. She's only asleep. And they laugh at him. What a quick change of emotions, right? Weeping to laughing. But they laugh at him, and he takes Jairus, his wife, the three disciples, and the six of them go behind closed doors, push out the commotion of the emotion. Church, sometimes that's where we need to be. The emotion that you're experiencing is welling up within you, and it is hindering you. Your emotion was meant, created by God, to be your ally, and right now it is your enemy. And Jesus shuts it out, shuts out that enemy, goes behind closed doors because that emotion can douse faith like water to a, to a fire. And they step into this closed room. And I don't know all that happens, but it says here that apparently immediately, Jesus took her by the hand. And can you imagine Jared just watching? Okay. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. What is he doing now? Takes her by the hand. And he says, Talitha kum, damsel arise. Get up. And his daughter sits up and immediately stands on her faith, face. Stands on her feet. I knew it was an F. It was an F word. It, feet. Face, face, feet, feet. There we go. Stands on her feet. Totally. Luke says this, her spirit returned to her. Church, she was not in any coma. She was not in any coma. The spirit had departed. She was dead. And her spirit returned, Luke says. God had raised her from the dead. Jesus, by the anointing of the spirit, raised her from the dead. Why? Because Jairus listened to Jesus. I will not be afraid. I will just believe. I will just believe. Mustard seed of faith. It's all hanging on a, 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 a little thread there. And he led the way to his house. 
okay, Jesus, what do we do now? And Jesus tells her, damsel, arise. Church, I need to tell you, God has not given up on you. He has not given up on you. Clear the obstacle course, the barriers to faith. They're going to be like that windmill, knocking you in a different direction. They're going to keep you. They're going to slow you down. They're going to hinder you. Don't, don't stumble. Don't allow that obstacle to be something that you end up stumbling over and falling down and saying, forget it. I'm frustrated with God. Can I ask you, what is it that you're facing right now? Some goals might be in, in areas of ministry. They might be in a financial or, or a provision. Maybe that's the, 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 the goal, to see provision. And the obstacles are not just there one time, but over and over and over, like a, like a slap in the face, closed doors. God, again, really? How about children? Their character, their salvation. You set aside days for fasting and praying for them. God, when are we going to see breakthrough in my child? Marriage, what goal? The obstacle to your faith might be yet another closed door. Opportunity, opportunity gone. A feeling God doesn't seem to be for me. Why? Would he, why would he be with me right now? If I have not seen him there in my yesterday when the door was closed, why would I expect him to be there tomorrow? And we're wrestling with this. To put it bluntly, I haven't racked up enough points with him yet. Do you ever feel that way? Unworthy? I'm too ordinary. Just a carpenter, just a paint touch-up guy. What if? I tell you what, you could follow that what if with a hundred different excuses or a hundred different reasons why maybe God shouldn't answer your prayer. Why maybe you shouldn't be healed, raised from the dead. What if God doesn't? I mentioned this before, but truth empowers faith. It releases or it enables, if you will, faith action. Truth. Find out what that lie is that you're believing. And listen to Jesus. Listen to the Spirit. Find out, discover what the truth is and stand on it, church. Don't allow the devil to speak lies because lies will empower that obstacle and it will loom large like giants in the land. Remember when the Israelites were ready to conquer the land? Giants in the land. It was a lie that they listened to and it empowered that obstacle and they were robbed of faith. It just took a mustard seed, the smallest seed of the garden. That's always Jesus was asking. And I'm just going to close with this very quickly. When my daughter Jenny Rose was eight years old for four straight years, she wrestled with a rebellious heart. Rolling of the eyes, whole nine yards. My wife and I, we were like the, this woman going to the doctors 
spending all that we had with God. What are we going to do? We fasted, we did everything, crossed our T's, dotted our I's spiritually. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have done that, but there was this hunger, this desire, this persevering God. We, we, we will seek you, we will implore you, we will pray for you, we'll pray together, we'll fast, we will, we will do, we'll do whatever we need to to see my girl rescued as this attitude of rebellion was increasing. And when she hit 12, God began to answer those prayers. And in about one year, she was a completely different girl. There were still some things in her testimony. If you want to hear it, she began to share with, she shared with people. And there were still some more things, layers that God was uprooting in her life, clearing those obstacles. And God changed my girl to the point where she became a warrior, a worshiper. She so fell in love with Jesus, and he be, it began, you began to see it in how she lived and how she sought after God to the point I remember so many times walking into my study and opening the door, and there she was flat on her face crying out to God, Father, please, and she would be interceding for many of you. And I have to step over her as quietly as I could in order to get to my desk, grab my Bible, retrace my steps, step back over her very quietly, closing the door, thinking that maybe, yeah, she didn't hear me, right? But so I wouldn't interrupt her. And, and by the time I'm closing her, I still hear her crying out to God for people because Jesus had changed that rebellious heart. My wife and I, we decided I, we are not going to allow this obstacle for four years. That was our obstacle. Wondering, God, how to, how, what would we do? What did we do? Show us. We want to repent. Rescue our girl. Please, God, over and over and in seeking after God. And he broke through. And I want to tell you this right now. Allow truth to empower your faith today. Just a mustard seed. Allow truth to empower your faith. Can we stand and pray right now? Father, I ask you that you would speak so clearly. Go beyond these words of mine and speak truth to hearts, Lord God. So many truths, Lord God, that we would need to listen to. Different people. So, Spirit of God, I am asking and imploring you, speak that truth that we each need to hear so that we would be able to just take that first step, that mustard seed of faith, believe that we would touch the hem of Jesus' garment. It would be like Jerison in the midst of a hundred different emotions. Be willing to believe, just believe and lead Jesus to his home where his daughter would be raised from the dead. May we not stumble, God, at these obstacles. We're done with that. We're done with these windmills. I'm asking you, Lord, speak truth. Let faith arise. And let God in his grace work miracles in our midst. Do this, God, even today as we press in with this little mustard seed of faith that our God would act on our behalf and would rescue us from our suffering. You are so good, God. We delight in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.